Hello. Um, if you're new here, I'm Steph. I'm one of the pastors. We are looking at a book in the Bible called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, and um, which is, in a nutshell, it's a uh, it's it's a, a collection of songs between a, a man and a woman, and it's about um, it's about romantic love. And um, but from time immemorial, um, this book has also been interpreted um, before the time of Christ by the sort of Jewish rabbis and scholars as um, also an allegorical song between God and his people Israel. And then um, through the New Testament lens, sort of getting that focus of Christ and the church. And it's, it, it operates on a human, natural level, which we've been talking about a little bit, but it also operates on a spiritual, allegorical level. And um, so when you do a series like this, all kinds of stuff gets raised up, as you can imagine. Um, the, th- the theme of romantic love is... It, you know, you can't get away from that theme in our world. I mean, the vast majority of songs um, that that get to the top of the charts are about romantic love. It's 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 a big deal. It really, really is a big deal, and um, it's the cause for immense ecstasy and joy in life, and also at times cause for the deepest pain. So all kinds of stuff gets raised up when you talk about this this kind of thing. Um, and so I just wanted to just point, uh, point, point some of you guys to some, to some resources that would just help as you sort of processing some of the stuff we're looking at as we're going through this. So it's a little bit of a longer intro than normal, just to try and help to, I guess, get us all on the same place and looking in the same direction before we get into the text um, this week. Um, last week's sermon was obviously very much, very much focused on those who are about to be married or who are married, and yeah, I'm sure it would have been um, a huge uh, blessing. For those of you in those categories, those of you um, uh, happily single and unmarried, it would have been just, I'm sure, of, of, of interest and encouragement. Also, those of you that are unmarried that particularly want to be married, I'm sure that it, it would have been informative uh, and encouraging, but at the same time, perhaps would have also had a challenge about it and would have created areas of, of question and the like. And so what we're just going to try and do our best over these weeks to, to, to make sure that we are... Um, doing as well as we can with every kind of person, every kind of category, because life is complex, right? So in, the, in a room of, the, of the, this amount of people, there'll be all kinds of stories and things that have gone on that people bring into the room with them. That's just the way it goes. And we trust that the Holy Spirit will apply to people's hearts the things that he wants them to hear. Um, you have to trust that as a preacher, otherwise you get overwhelmed. You think, well, how am I possibly going to help that person and encourage that one? And, you know, you, you, it's too much. So you have to trust that the Lord will just use your words minister through your words and touch people but on a practical level there's a couple of resources that um we want to just i just want to point um some of our um unmarried people to i guess two particular categories of unmarried people first is those who are in some kind of a relationship which is beyond the normal friendship it may be like dating going out it may be that um that you don't sort of like that approach but you've got a special friendship with someone there's, there's a connection with someone which is a bit more beyond the norm and you're kind of thinking, you know, how do we sort of know whether, whether this can become more than that? How do we know whether we could become, you know, whether we could sort of do life together? Whether, whether one day it would be a fruitful thing for us to be married or not? That's a really important question. So I've, I've written this little thing a few months back while I was just sort of pondering this. And it's just a set of reflective questions for people in that kind of a scenario to, to reflect on with one another. Um, to basically help them to work through... Um, Will it, will it be more fruitful or, or less fruitful, us doing life 
together as a married couple. So we'll, I'll make sure that on Rev News this week that, that, is, that that's there. That's on Rev News, so you can access that. Secondly, uh, Malcolm and Kathy Kite, who have uh, been with us f- for a few months, as uh, Andy and Joe's folks, and uh, wonderful people with great experience uh, and years of serving churches. Malcolm sent me through a paper that someone in one of his, one of his previous churches written about online dating. Um, and sort of wisdom on that regard because you know you know it's like certain things for whatever reason just generate something of a bit of a stigma do you know and they shouldn't like us we're doing our garden at the moment and the end result is going to be fake lawn but every time I tell people I sort of have to give a like a 10 minute long explanation as to why I also agree that plastic is bad and and uh, yeah all you know Davina just says we're having fake lawn don't judge us and just moves on I'm there 10 minutes later trying to cover every base you know there's a stigma around it I it's kind of, you feel, oh no, you know, online dating, I think, is similar. And it's like, well, why? It's, 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 there's, there's nothing wrong with it at all. But there are, I think there are particular areas where it could go wrong uh, in ways which are more, slightly more pronounced than in the conventional route. So wisdom needed, that's all. But there's, I know, you know, know of numbers of uh, people that have, that, have, that have found a wonderful life partner through online dating. There should be no... Stigma around it. it should, there should be no need of giving an explanation around it. There surely shouldn't be. Let's just burst that one, can we? It's absolutely fine. Just be wise. So, but Malcolm sent me this paper. I read through it. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. And, um, and so we'll get that attached also so you can access that. Have a read of that. See what you think. If you're in a position where you're thinking, well, I'm not with anyone at the moment, but I would quite like to be. And that's not everyone. Some people are very, very happily unmarried, single, really at a place of peace and contentment with that. Um, and so I'm not assuming for a moment that that is everyone. Um, and also I want to just say something. And I don't know, I'm, I'm now groping around at this point, but I want to say something on it. Um, the whole thing that uh, as humans that we are sexual beings and part of, part of our energy is sexual energy. And obviously, you know, I'm no doctor, but, you know, I know that, I know that hormones are part of that. And just kind of like, what does it look like to, to express sexual energy in a healthy way? If you're a disciple, you're a believer, you want to live in a pure way. You, know, you don't want to get into kind of a, a sexually active lifestyle outside of covenant. You don't want to do that. You want to be married so that in covenant, in the safety of covenant, you can express um, you can have sexual intercourse, you know, and, and, and it be something that's just kind of safe and, and, and pure in, in, in the eyes of God. That's what you want. But you think, well, I'm still, I'm still a man, I'm still a woman, and, and just the sexual energy thing. I was trying to think about, trying to ponder it. The Charlie Cleverly commentary says some, I think, really good things, but sometimes I'm, I, I think he's groping around a little bit in the dark as well, to be honest. So he said, what is, what's going on here? And I, I guess I just reflected for a little while on, on um, so I became a believer when I was 18, and was unmarried for six years. I know there's people in the room that have been, you know, unmarried as believers for decades. Others of you, decade plus. So I know six years is, you know, on one level you could be thinking, well, well what do you know? I get it. Uh, but it's more than six months. Um, so, well, I can, maybe I can say something little. Um, and the Lord gave me a wonderful, he gave me grace in terms of sexual purity. Uh, and I was absolutely trapped in sexual impurity before I knew the Lord. That was one of, there were a few things, but that was one of the things that was absolutely dominating my inner world, if you like. Mind and heart, that, that was a body, you know, I was totally trapped. And he, he did give me grace. And then I'm thinking, well, 
Now, I know he's impartial as a parent. He he gifts his children differently, that's fine. But he wouldn't give one of his children grace to overcome sin and not another. Do you know what I'm saying? You think, well, he didn't do that. So he gives all grace. So then it got me thinking, how did I access that that grace? How How did I find that? And I'm not pretending for a moment that I've got all the answers and, you know, I didn't do it perfectly. And there's always temptation. So I'm not saying I kind of breeze through. But, but God did give me victory. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's different from, from not having victory, even though you still face temptation and you, you, know, you make mistakes on the way. But there was a victory that came where previously there was defeat. And I, I think something about, there's something about an appropriate expression of, of, of our sexual energy in terms of our devotion to the Lord. That's what Paul seems to say. In 1 Corinthians 7, he, he basically says, look, you know, if you're going to get married, these are some guidelines, really, really important guidelines. But if you're not, you know, to be honest, I think, I think you're probably going to do better. That's what he says. Uh, he says you're going to save yourself a lot of anxiety um, because you're not going to be spending your life thinking, how can I please my wife and my husband? I'm just thinking, how can I please the Lord? And I just think, I'm not, there's no silver bullets, right? There are no silver bullets in the kingdom, right? There aren't. But there's good things to say. And I think a good thing to say is passionate devotion to Christ, a kind of a brave and courageous, I'm, I'm going all out for you, Lord, is, is a very, very key way that you access the grace that's available. If out of fear that God won't come through or kind of that you, 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 I don't, you don't do that or you love something else, like something that you're, you worship, you won't give it up, you don't do that, then it impacts your receptivity of, of, of the grace of God. Because in order to receive the grace of God, you've got to have enough room in your heart for it. If you come with your hands full and say, yeah, I'll have a bit of that, please, Lord. It's like, well, you're, already, you're already full of stuff. If you say, Lord, do you know what? I really want all that you've got, so I'm willing in my heart to sort of lay it all down. Lord, give me what I need. There is grace, brothers and sisters. And there is, and 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 that, and that sexual energy, if you like, it, it can be it can be poured into the kingdom in a way that's not explicitly sexual. If you know. So it's a little bit funny. I get it, but it, it's basically the energy that you would give to a partner can be appropriated spiritually and given to the Lord. Does that make sense? And it is a bit funny, and I get it, and I, I can hear myself. I think it's a bit funny, but it's true. <laughs> And I just want to encourage us to sort of give ourselves that. And, this, and the other thing I want to say before I get into the sermon, it's, it's going to be long today, isn't it? But I just want to say this as well. Listen, those of you that are married, I really want to, we've said it before, but I want to say it again. You are totally complete in Christ. Just really want to emphasize and underline that. Okay? When you, when you get married to someone, you make yourself voluntarily incomplete so that you can become one with them. If you don't do that, you don't get married properly and you just live separate lives. But when you get married, you make yourself, you say, I'm going to lay down my kind of, this sort of completeness in terms of who I am because I want to become one with you, yeah? But, but, but that doesn't mean you were incomplete before you did that. The Bible says we are complete in Christ. And we really just want to kind of break any kind of, even little, quiet, funny, strange stigmas around singleness that somehow something's wrong or something's not quite right. We just want to say no to that in the name of Jesus. All right, it's really important we get this right. That God is really, really for marriage, and I hope you're enjoying that through this book. But God is really, really for unmarried lives devoted to Him. Yeah, He is. And so I hope I haven't made matters worse by saying, you know, but I just think it's important to talk about these things. Sometimes you think, oh, I can't say it perfectly, but you get my heart. Yeah, some good things have been said? All right, amen. If they haven't, 
I tried my best. Okay. Now, something funny happened last week, which you probably don't realize, and it's this. About Clive preached last week, our good friend Clive, and about two weeks before, he said, what's, what, what, what's my passage? And I said, it's the next chapter, meaning the next chapter of the commentary, which is half of chapter four. He thought I meant the next chapter of Song of Solomon, which is the whole of chapter four. So he preached the whole chapter. So I didn't notice at the time, and I came to prepare the sermon on Monday, and I thought, oh gosh, he's preached the sermon. Um, what do I do? So I had a bit of time to think about it and pray about it. I thought, I'm going to preach chapter four again. But where he emphasized um, the earthy element of human relationships, I want to emphasize the allegorical um, Christ and the church. I want to bring that out as far as I can in full color so that we, so that we get to that. I want us to, we must get into the love of God. Okay? It is, it is life and death that we get into the love of God. If you don't get into the love of God, you are stuck. I mean, you're really badly stuck because you're kind of aware of the reality of God, but you're not walking in the joy of his love. It leaves you in this thing where you're trying to kind of do the right thing. There's no joy. There's no delight. There's no lightness. It's heavy. You think, oh, who wants to live in that? You know, I mean, I think it's worse than just enjoying the pleasures of sin. I'm honest. I just, it's not salvation. It's just horrible. We've got to get into the love of God. And, and the Bible says that there's two main ways that we do that. And they're both in the, chapters of, um, in the book of Romans, chapter 5. It says, we know, we know that God has, God has demonstrated his love once for all in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Right? So there's just been something that's happened historically, objectively, outside of anything in my feelings or emotions. It happened. Christ died for us. And that is the concrete expression of the love of God for us. That nothing, I can wake up on a good day and a bad day, Christ died for us. Yeah? We, we, we can, we, our lives can plummet into what is going on, things go wrong, you lose your job, health challenges, this, this that, and the other. Christ died for us. God loves us. Okay? We stand on that. It's the rock that we stand on and we, and we, we know it. And, and when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to that, you say, I'm, stand, I'm living on this. Because this is solid, this doesn't change. In the same chapter, in verse 5, it says that God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom is given to us. Now this is kind of part of the same idea, but it's more subjective. It's like the actual love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. He, he ministers into our very soul his love. It's not just that, I, that I've been convinced by the Holy Spirit of, some th- of, of what God has done for me. I feel his love. Okay? I'm, I'm experiencing his affection for me. That's part of the, that is part of the true, full Christian experience. And it's so, so important that we live in the good of and enjoy this. Because that's how you get transformed and beautified. It's by living in the good of the love of Christ. In Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus is going to present the church as his bride, holy and without any wrinkles or blemishes or spots, totally pure. He says, how how does he do that? He says that he washes her with his word and he's laid down his life for her. And actually, this wonderful act of Jesus dying for us and and, and then being raised and now ministering to us and washing us, that's what makes us beautiful. We're beautified by it. I don't know if you know anything about beautification processes. Read the book of Esther. There's this woman who she's, she's, she's brought into this harem and she's kind of, uh, but before she can be with the king, she has to be beautified. And I mean, it's extraordinary. Six months of this treatment. 
I mean, just every day being treated with certain oils and spices to prepare her. What a glory. Wow. You know, that's what happens to us in the gospel. We're made right with God. We'll look at some of that later. But we're made, but it's not, he beautifies us. He, 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 he makes us what we aren't naturally. It's absolutely stunning and we need to live in the good of and, and enjoy that. And it's so important. And it's not selfish. To, I'll tell you why. It's not, because the more you let the Lord beautify you with his spices and aromas and fragrances, the more you smell of Jesus. And the more you smell of Jesus, the more people go, wow, what's that? And you can point them to him. You see, if you're not smelling Jesus, you're smelling like everyone else. No, no, one, no, no one notices. You go and be in a different fragrance. Like, wow, that's amazing. What is that? It's always oh, Jesus. He's just changed my life. You haven't got to answer questions about the dinosaurs. and this, just, Jesus changed my life. Okay, and send them to Dan. All right, that's what we do. It's our policy. Right? Dan, Dan dinosaur Dan. Right? Send but you just smell like Jesus. But you've got, to, you've got to let him beautify you. So people go, what's that? It's Jesus. Some go, I don't want that. Others go, that's, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. So it's so important. It's not selfish. It's absolutely key to seeing the world get saved. You know, or seeing seeing God's people saved out of the world is so so key. So let's have a look at this. Let's read this passage. We're going to go again. We're going to go chapter four, Song of Solomon's, verse seven through to five, verse one. You see, and I want you to read this today as this is the groom speaking to his betrothed. This is Jesus speaking to the church. This is Jesus speaking to you. Receive it. Sit in it. Let it beautify you. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Depart from the peak of Amarna, from the peak of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. You have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. With one jewel of your necklace, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride, honey and milk are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride, a spring locked, a fountain sealed. Your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits, henna with nard, nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all chief spices, a garden fountain, a well of living water and flowing streams from Lebanon. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind. Blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. She says, let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. He says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. And then there's this mysterious phrase where some say it's the friend's. But others, commentators, say it's the Father, it's God himself speaking to these two lovers. Eat, friends, drink. Be drunk with love. Lord, we have so many wrong thoughts about you. We're ashamed of it, Lord. We have so many hard thoughts about you. So many small thoughts about you. So many ungenerous thoughts about you. And we jump to the wrong conclusion about you a lot of the time. 
And thank you that you come back to us with your love. Your fierce, burning, jealous, eternal love. And you say these things over us. And we say, who me? And you say, yes. And you beautify us and change us with that love. We pray for your spirit to help us see it freshly today. In your glorious name. In your glorious name. Amen. Flawless. Verse 7. You are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. I mean, how on earth does this thing work? Because see, part of the problem with this is that when you come to know the Lord, you become more aware of what's wrong with you. See, before you know the Lord, what you tend to do is you tend to just, I don't know, compare yourself with others that are worse than you and you come out all right. (laughs) Or you defend yourself, you're in the habit of defending, I'm not that bad and this is why, I'm like this because of how I was brought up and whatever. Just what you do. And then when you come to know the Lord, you realise, actually, part of it, there's that moment where you say, busted, isn't there? You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And if I'd had the best upbringing in the world, I'd still be a sinner. And this isn't just, this is, this is much deeper than just psychological issues. <laughs> this is, something spiritually is wrong. I'm a sinner. And you become aware of it. And, and, and you, you're, you're, you happily bring that to him because you bring it to him at the cross where he says, I know. And that's why I'm here. And that's, what, and that's why I had to go to the cross. And I am t- receiving the penalty for your sin in my body at the cross. And you go, wow. So you say, thank you, Lord. And, you, you, and sin's forgiven. Revelation comes. My sins have been taken at the cross. It's done. Jesus cries out, it is finished. And you go, ah, wow. But then you live in this strange world where you kind of go, wow. But at the same time, you're much more aware of everything that's ever been wrong with you. You start being, I'm selfish. I mean, I've made a little list of me. What was the little list I came up with about me? I thought, oh, what is it with me? I'm naturally, I'm cowardly, I'm judgmental, I'm short-tempered, and hyper self-important. What's your four? What's your big four? Naturally, that's where I'm ugly. Now, before I was a believer, I probably might have known it deep down, but no way was I admitting to that. <laughs> but as a believer now, I've seen it. I've seen it. And I can't put it on my mum or my dad or my great-great-grandma. It's me. It's me. Of course it's Adam, but it's also me and Adam. <laughs> and there's that reality where you go... Okay, so I'm now more aware than ever. And, 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 but, but actually, in this incredible economy of salvation, what is Jesus saying to me about this? Well, he's saying two things. He is definitely saying, do you know what? I'm with you. We're going to work this through. I'm going to beautify you. Hallelujah. But actually, he's also saying this. There is no flaw in you. I mean, you've got to let that wash over you. I don't know how many times a day. There is no flaw in you. Uh, take a moment. Brothers and sisters, those of you who know the Lord, and just say this to the Lord. Say, Lord, there is no flaw in me. Tell him. Own it. Confess it. Agree with him. Say, there is no flaw in me. I stand before you, holy, pure. I stand before you, the living God, in whom there is no darkness. And I can say to you, in Christ, there is no flaw in me. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's the gospel. He has perfected forever those he's making perfect. It's the wonder, the mystery of the gospel. Hallelujah. Verse 8, and then the, the, the groom says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with He wants her to come with him. He says, come with me from the dens of lions. The Bible teaches this. 
When we get saved, he rescues us from the kingdom of darkness. He rescues us from the ravaging foe. Spiritual realities. Uh, sometimes hard to know how wisely to articulate it on a Sunday where there's all kinds of us here. Some of us Christians are a long time, others new Christians, others of us looking in to find out about Christianity. It's hard to, you want to be wise in how you frame it, but here's the reality. We sang about it earlier. There is a devil. And he's portrayed in the scripture as a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The groom says to his bride, Come from the dens of lions. I want to pull you out of darkness. I want to pull you out of enemy territory. I want to pull you out of that place of oppression, fear, confusion. Come. He calls us, come away with me. Come with me out of the darkness into the light. He kicks down prison doors and he says, come on, out you come. And there's that something about us where we say, you know what, Lord, I'm coming with you. I'm walking out of all that. I'm walking out of accusation because there's no flaw in me. I'm walking out of oppression because, Lord, your, your burden is light. I'm walking out of confusion because, Lord, you've given me the mind of Christ. These, these things are my inheritance in Jesus. Um, you saying, come with me out of that. I'm coming with you out of that. Right. And we stumble our way out and we get it wrong. I'm not, that, I'm not, this is not a triumphalistic sermon, but it's a sermon about victory. So we don't always get it bang on and we learn it. And James says we stumble in many ways. But that's fine. As I said before, that's just like the, the, the toddler's stumbling. It's just because you're learning. It's not like wrong. It's just, just you don't know what to do. Okay, Lord. That's what it's like. That's all right. But I'm, saying, I'm coming after you. And he's springing like a gazelle. And there we are. All right, Lord. You know. That's how it is. It's okay. It's okay. Come on, he's saying. Come on. And over time, we learn to, you know... <laughs> Do that sort of thing. So, glad it's not been videoed. Right. Verse 10. I love this. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. Oh, no. Hold on. No. Sorry, I missed a bit. Hold on. Verse 9. Listen. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes. Do you understand your time with the Lord as like that? When the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you, that's what's going on there. You say, Lord, I'm here to pray. He goes, wow. I'm going, no, I mean, you probably still don't love me because I did that wrong the other day. And, blah, 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 blah. and he's going, wow. <laughs> Do you see? He's going, just one glance of your eyes. Just one glance of your eyes. I'm here. I'm here. Draw near to God and he will draw near. He's waiting. Then why is he waiting? He's waiting because when you draw near, you're saying, I want to know you, Lord. But he's, he's, he's longing for that. He wants fellowship with us, brothers and sisters. He wants fellowship with us that he's passionate that is lively, that is, that is intimate, that is where you go, oh gosh, so when I look at you, you say, wow. I mean, and it's not, it's not L'Oreal, it's not because you're worth it, it's not, oh, I wonder, oh yes, I, I thought, I always thought I was wonderful. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, I have, I have poured my, I have poured who I am into you. I've clothed you with my righteousness. I've, I, I've, I've, I've loved you from eternity past for no other reason other than I love you. My free electing love. I have picked you out to love you. And I love you because I love you. Because I love you. Because I love you. And it's all the answer you'll only ever find is in me and my heart for you. So you haven't got to scrape around to try and find a reason why. Just bask in it. This, that's the response. One glance of your eyes. It's captivated my heart. This is wonderful. One jewel of your necklace. In the, in the Bible, the neck is often associated with the will. 
God sometimes says to Israel, you stiff-necked people in the Old Testament when they were being rebellious. He says that to them. He uses this imagery. Your your necks are stiff here. You know, come on. When they were going through seasons, uh, uh, when they were unbelieving and they wouldn't yield to him. You know, this is the beautiful thing. I think when we trust him and we say, yeah, I'm going to follow you, Lord. It's it's like little glimmers on our necklace going, ding, ding. He's going, I love this. You trust me. You know, when, when someone is under your care trusts you, you go, oh, wow, you tr- it brings such joy. If you've got, I don't know, like nieces or nephews or children or just little ones that are somehow under your care, and you say, I'll oh, jump off there and I'll catch you, and they go, hey, you're like, wow, this is amazing. You actually trust that I can catch you. And it, it, it reflects on you, doesn't it? You think, wow, God so loves it when we trust Jesus, so loves it when we say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust you. It's like our necklace, the little diamonds glinting off. And he says, oh, I love this. You trust me. You're willing. You're willing. And the will is huge. I tell you, the will is the thing that gets us in most trouble. This willfulness, this I want to do it my way. I want to be in the driver's seat. I want to control my life. This I know better than God thing gets us in so much trouble, doesn't it? Really does. You always end up on dead ends. Thinking, oh, I got it wrong. You know. When will we learn? When we learn to trust Him and just yield. He goes, "That's beautiful." Oh, that's a stunning. Oh, he loves that. He loves that one glint, one little, one little jewel of your necklace. Verse ten. How much better is your love than wine? I love this. Do you know what Jesus said at the last supper? He said, "I'm not going to drink wine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom." So what? So what's bringing? So what's bringing Jesus his joy in this age? Because it's not wine. Your love is better than wine, he says. Your affection. Your affection is what makes my heart race faster. Your affection is what is what I love. I love to intercede for you and I love to see what, what my work in you and what it's producing. Your love is better than wine. Jesus says, I'm not going to drink any until, until that mighty day. Until, when we, until we come together in consummation, until the wedding day, until the marriage supper of the Lamb. I, so he's picked up his glass of wine at the last supper before the cross and then, and then he's going to pick it up at the, at, the, at the wedding feast and say, here, we're together. We're together. We're together. It's just, Wow. This is the love of God. It's what it is. It kind of feels dangerous. It feels like, is this allowed? We just, this is what it says. <laughs> Not making this up. Verse 11, your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. It's, you know, when, when we speak words of praise to him, when we speak words of encouragement to one another, when we speak words of witness to those who don't know him, just the taste of that to Jesus is absolutely beautiful. He looks at our lips as we praise, as we encourage, as we witness, and it's like they're dripping nectar. He's like, oh, wow, look at that. He hears our words of truth when we learn how to speak the truth in love and we learn how to, our words to be wise and we learn from him as we just be in the Bible and we learn and the Spirit teaches us and, we, and our words are truthful now and they're loving now and, and there's a gentleness and a wisdom about them now and the Lord looks on that and he hears it and he says honey and milk are under your tongue honey and milk are under your tongue this, this, is, this is nourishing to him he loves it he just loves it he delights, he delights in, in every beautiful thing he does in us <laughs> he does it we let him and then he goes wow isn't that amazing it's like wow somehow we're included in this and really it's what he's doing it's the grace of God. Absolutely beautiful. 
Now this is very important. Verse 12, a garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. This is about holiness. On a human level, it's about, it would be about the lover, the, 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 the woman keeping herself for him alone. That's what it would represent. In this allegorical sense, it's us keeping ourselves for Christ alone. Often in the Bible where people start worshipping other things, the term used to describe it is spiritual adultery. God says you're being adulterous because it's like they're being unfaithful to him because of this imagery of love relationship. And so this garden lot is like, no, I'm keeping myself for Christ. There are elements of who I am that are for him only. There are, I, I, no, I, I'm fundamentally his. I've been, I've been set apart. You know, when you get saved, you get set apart. You get made holy. It means that you get, it's like you get, the idea is, is you're, you're cut off of the common lump and you're set apart for noble purpose. It's like God saying, now this is, now I'm going to fashion you into something for noble purpose. But he, here's the wonder, right? So this, the idea is holiness. It's not, not, not holiness in terms of following lots of legalistic rules. Holiness in terms of on a heart level, I am totally yours, Lord. I am yours. Before anything else, anyone else, I am yours. But listen to, so this is, that, that's the setting. And then these words come. He starts saying, your shoots are an orchard of pomegranates with all choicest fruits. Henna with nard, nard and saffron, the chief spices. Are, and this, he's going on. And what he's saying is this, he's saying, your holiness to me is like a garden of paradise. When I see you set apart for me, it's like, it's like, it's like you, you draw me into a garden of paradise. And I look at your heart where you're doing that earnestly. And, and it's just like, I, I want to, exp- I just, it's like walking through the Garden of Eden again for the Lord. It's, it, it, oh, wow, look, we've got this here and that there. And all it is, is when we say, Lord, I, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm yours. I'm set apart for you. I mean, this is, this is deep. This is intimate. I'm sure you're understand this and then in verse 15 he says it ch- the imagery changes a garden fountain a well of living water so she's a garden locked a spring locked a fountain sealed but now she's a well of living water and flowing streams and the idea here obviously she's not that she's kept herself from others so that she might give herself to him on a natural level she has kept herself from others that she might give herself and all the wonders that she is to him Spiritually, we have kept ourselves from other gods. We've kept ourselves from worshipping created things so that we might give ourselves. And, and again, this is that joining between it's this idea of, um, how can we describe it? Holiness uh, and, and fullness. When you say, Lord, I want to give myself to you, that what you're doing is you're, you're allowing the fullness of the Spirit to flow into your life. Yeah, it's not rocket science. You haven't got to be clever. You haven't got to have been a Christian for a certain amount, it, amount of time. It's, it's a heart thing where you say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm, your, I'm totally yours. It's abandonment. I'm totally yours. And that it lines you up for the Lord to fill you with his spirit. And he says, you're not just locked, locked up. You're, you're flowing now in the fullness because, because actually you're, you're in that place where, where you, want to, you really do want to run with me. This is really, really... Rich, rich stuff. Now, I want to end by looking at what she says at the end of chapter 4. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. This is very, 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 very important. 
because, and I'll just speak, I'm not going to be graphic at all, but let me just say something here about, about marriage just quickly, that normally in a marriage where the bedroom is a, is a sort of signifying sexual intimacy is a place of sadness or a place of disappointment um, or a place of, I guess you might describe it as unfulfillment. Normally, what, one way or another when that's going on, you can trace it back to a loss of confidence somewhere. In some, somewhere, there has been a loss of confidence, whether it's on an emotional level, whether it's on a physical level, whether it's a, a, a blend of all kinds of different things. Something has happened whereby the liberty that, that, you know, that, is, that is God's heart for a couple when they come together, it, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like that. And, um, you know, this is ever, ever so, ever so common because we, you know, we bring our story into our marriage, don't we? And, and, and we're complicated people. So please, no one's being singled out. Always, this, is, this is just something that, that but it, there's, there's, there's something there. But the spirit, the, 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 the correlating spiritual point is huge. The correlating spiritual point is huge in the sense that if there's a lack of confidence in the affections of Jesus Christ, things lock up. Think you just kind of you just yeah what you were sensing as I was speaking in terms of just the the the, the delight and and the, uh, and of Jesus over you. We, God's heart is that we learn to live there, because when we live there, the, it, it just we flow, yeah, we flow. And when we're in that place where we're kind of questioning His love and and all of that, we just sort of lock up and and we kind of know the Lord, so we still want to do what's right, so we still sort of do what's right. But it's kind of locked up. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not flowing. It's not adventure. It's not faith. It's not, there's no joy. But it's just kind of like trying not to sin. <laughs> um, and the Lord wants to help us really be in this place of meditating on his affection for us. Because it, 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 you flow then. Then you're able to flow. And, and that takes time, brothers and sisters. That's the T word. I'm saying to London. <laughs> the T word, time. Um, there's no shortcuts in the kingdom. And my experience of any shortcuts within the kingdom or not, most of them turn out to be long cuts. Whether it's DIY, driving, what most shortcuts end up, you think, what have we done? You know, they end up being long cuts. Um, so if you really want to get into the good stuff, it does involve time. It just does. Um, and so, you know, I, I just, so we, we carve out time like this, which is so important. And gospel community and running partners, so, so important. But it's also good for us to learn how to just carve out time just to be alone with him as well. It's really important that we just learn how to do that and that it's a life-giving situation. It's not just get, getting through some things or tick, ticking boxes, but there's that, I'm meeting with him, you know? And you haven't got to wait. Some of you are real good at, on a prayer list. I'm terrible on a prayer list. Some of you are great. You love a prayer list. It's fine. It's not wrong. And I've got to learn how to be a bit more. I'm sure I do. But those of you that are really into prayer lists, you, you need to learn that there's, there, you've got to move beyond that. Because the Holy Spirit, he, he will, he will, it's okay to just be with the Lord. And if there's something really urgent, the Holy Spirit will say, hey, pray about this, you know. But it's okay to just be with the Lord. Love him, delight in him. It's really important. I'm, I'm going to stop because I'm going to start waffling. So, right, that's it. Crash landing. Okay. <laughs> let's, um, let's, let's find a way of responding. If the band can help us. We're going to sing a wonderful song. We, I think most of us know it. See his love. It's, we, we used to sing it a lot years ago. I haven't sung it for a while, but it's just, it gets us into, again, this the wonder of this awesome, 
expression of his love for us at the cross. We go, oh yeah. And while, we, while we're singing this, please do gather around the table and take the bread and the wine. And, you know, as we, listen, as we take the bread and the wine, something happens. All right, We don't believe that the bread and the wine literally turn into the body and the blood of Christ. But we do believe it's more than just a symbol. Something's happening there. There's, there's, we are in some mysterious way participating in Jesus as we do this. And we're to expect the activity of the Holy Spirit. We're to expect that as we honour him and bless him and bless one another, that the Holy Spirit will use us and give gifts and, and will heal people and will speak to people and will we'll touch people in a fresh way. So let's come to the table with faith. If you're not a believer, just, just don't, it's fine. Just leave it until, you, you know, when you know, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, then great. But if you're not a believer, just leave it. If you are a believer, let's do this with faith and let's do this in a worthy manner. Let's, if, there's, if, if there's kind of, I don't know, if things aren't right in your heart, with God, get right with God. If if you're out of relationship with another brother and sister, and you just got to straighten some things out, do that because uh, it's important we take the bread and wine. We're kind of reverence, and it's it's a powerful, powerful thing. But why don't we stand and um, respond and drink in drink in His amazing, unique love for us? Come um, and use the space uh, by all means, and um, yeah, we'll we'll kind of help lead through. But let's sing and let's take the bread and wine.